0: How would you like to earn over seven figures from flipping websites? Hi, I'm Jared Krause. I'm the host of the Buying Online Businesses podcast and today I'm speaking with Mark Andre. Mark has been building online businesses since 2007. He's built and sold businesses in many different niches like web and graphic design, photography, travel, and personal finance with six different six-figure exits. His current project is flipmysite.com where he writes about buying and selling website businesses. And on this podcast, Mark and I talk about how and what it takes to move out of the employee mindset to entrepreneurial mindset and the challenges that we can face as being an employee and how to make that shift, which Mark and I both went through and have some experiences and stories to share. We always talk about what websites Mark started, when he started them, why he started them, and then also we talk about what sites he's actually bought and how much he's made from selling those sites, which is quite a substantial figure from the flips that he's made. We do also dig into what he did to grow these websites. We pick apart many different things from content, authority, revenue, to grow these different types of businesses, and a lot of the things that he did. We do also touch and talk about Google's SGE and third-party cookies, and why the internet is not actually doomed, and some sort of case scenarios on what can happen, and how things have been moving along for a while, and what may or may not happen in the future with the search engine of google based on market share as well with other big companies and search engines too so there's a lot in that big discussion around that, which is fascinating. We also dive into how Mark was able to set his website business up for sale with how much time he actually gave himself and the things that he did to make them attractive businesses before selling them. And then Mark also shares some of his recommendations to people that are looking to sell sites before they do actually sell them. Now this is such a valuable episode, you will love it. There's so much we do talk about, but we also do discuss buying businesses. And I have to put a caveat on this. If you are looking at buying a business and you don't have professional professional help. You must get my due diligence framework. It's free. You can get it at buyingonlinebusiness.com for free resources, and you'll see that on the site. And yeah, it's what I have used, it's what a lot of my clients have used to go away and buy businesses. It's very, very valuable and very, very important if you're buying a website. Let's dive in. Do you have a website you might want to sell either now or in the future? We have a hungry list of cashed up and trained up buyers that want to buy your content website. If you have a site making over $300 per month and want to sell it, head to buyingonlinebusinesses.co forward slash sell your business or email us at info at buyingonlinebusinesses.com because we will likely have a buyer. Details are in the description. Mark, hi. Thanks for coming on the
1: pod. Welcome. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Yeah, you're so welcome. So... Yeah, you've been flipping sites for a while. When did you start flipping sites?
1: Yeah, so I, I started my first website in 2007. Um, I had a full-time job at the time. I was um, an auditor for a finance company and I kind of got started. I had done some small websites like web design work for family and friends, um, just you know, setting up really basic websites. And, uh, I was just looking for basically a side hustle to make some extra money. And, um, so I was interested in picking up some other clients. I, like I said, I'd done some friends and family, but I didn't really, you know, have a way to branch out beyond that. So I set up a little like portfolio website with information about my services and like showed off my crappy web design skills. And, um, (laughs) but I knew I couldn't, um, couldn't rank for web design or website design or any, you know, competitive terms with just a little portfolio site. So I started a blog and um, published articles and uh, you know, attempted to get traffic that way. And it actually worked. I did um, start to get a good bit of traffic. Uh, I was you know, kind of trying to learn whatever I could about social media and, and SEO and um, things did take off pretty quick. I did land some clients um, and I realized pretty quickly that I enjoyed working on the blog more than I enjoyed the client work. And so I uh, kind of sh- shifted my focus a bit. Um, instead of really trying to get leads through the site, I put ads on the site and monetized it that way and grew the site. Um, I wound up leaving my full-time job about a year and a half after I started this it was in late 2008. I left my full-time job. And, uh, yeah, so it's been almost 15 years now. Um, I've been working on different sites. So I wound up selling that site in 2013. Um, and since then I've had a number of other sites, um, few photography blogs um my wife and i did amazon fba for a couple of years um i had a, a finance blog that i sold earlier this year um i went back and did um some more stuff with web and graphic design um i had two sites that i sold together just a few months ago um those two were the only only ones that i purchased it was uh two what graphic design blogs um the other stuff was all stuff that i'd started from scratch um, so I've had, over the years, six different exits that were in the six-figure range. I've never had anything huge. I've never had you know any exits over a million dollars, but um, six um, somewhat substantial ones. And I think the total selling price of those businesses is like $2.2 $2 million or something like that.
0: Cool. Congrats, man. Congrats. So was your uh, reason of getting on the internet and starting these sites just to get out of your... Your job.
1: Initially, I really wasn't planning or looking to get out of my job. Uh, I was really just looking for a way to make a little bit of extra money on the side. Um, I was in a basically an entry level job, and you know, living in uh, the Philadelphia suburbs at the time, and just didn't have a lot of extra money. And so, I just wanted to you know some extra spending money. Um, But once I started to see some progress and like I started to see results, um, I did. You know, change my mentality pretty quickly. Um, you know, like once I started to see some results, I was like, you know, I really think there's potential here to um, to do something more significant than just a little side hustle. And so, at that point, then I really did get serious about it. And for that year and a half that I was really working on stuff before I left my job, I, I was focused on on getting out of my job because um, I had uh, you know a number of frustrations and different. It wasn't just that. Job, jobs before that, you know, like I just wasn't getting ahead um, in my 20s like I thought I would. And so um, I saw that as, you know, well, if I can't get the job that, um, you know, that I really want, then maybe I can create something myself.
0: Yeah, it's good, man. It's, it's so interesting this, just to chat to different people about it. Like when we're in uh, employee mode, we have a very different mindset. Um, and I've got a bunch of friends that are um, employees and the mindset is so like I find our mindsets like are like going further apart in terms of like life but you know then I've got some friends that are following like leaning more towards that path and it's very interesting to talk to people about like you know leaving, leaving work and how their view on the world has changed and understanding that like there's nothing wrong with being an employee like I've done it for a long period of time as well right I was a plumber I'm not sure if you know much about my story but yeah I used to be a plumber and and just hated it and then realized that I was the same not getting ahead and I wanted to in my 20s and realized that I needed to buy assets to build wealth and uh, it's a totally different mindset how did you How did you, what was the evolution of you changing from like, I just want some extra money, you know, to realizing, oh, like I actually want to like have more control over my life and, and build, build wealth. Like what, how did you, what were some of the things that you learned through that period and that shift?
1: Yeah. I, I think, you know, I'd always been like pretty focused and driven. I worked hard. Um, but like you said, like I, I had an employee mindset, which, um, again it's it's fine but i was focused i wasn't focused at all on like building a business i wasn't focused on like i was told you know when i was young work hard find a company that you want to you know work work for your whole career work hard you know work your way up be patient and you know i was working hard and things just like were not falling into place like there would be you know, an opportunity for a promotion and I would be qualified for the job, but then they would wind up hiring somebody from outside the company. And, you know, it was just like things like that, uh, happened a few different times. And, um, there was, you know, in my last job, I was, um, I had a boss who, she was really nice and she was good to me, but she wasn't very good at her job. And like people at her level, her peers didn't respect her. And like, they would come to me her subordinate, you know, because they didn't think that she could, could get her job done. And so I basically felt like I kind of carried her for two years and then they eventually fired her. And the moment that her boss told me that he was firing her, he had already hired somebody, already hired her replacement. And like, so there was never even any consideration of like, of me being qualified for it. So it was like, well, if, if I did a lot of her job for two years, and the position comes open and I'm not even considered for it, then, you know, I'd probably don't have much of a future here. And so once that happened, um, I was already working on my blog at that point. I was a few months in, um, and that was like the final, I don't know if you know, the thing that just really like said, okay, like this is, I'm definitely not going anywhere here. Um, and I think I have something else on the side. So, that really kind of was a turning point for me, like with motivation of like, okay, now I I need to to get there faster because um, I want to get out of this place pretty quickly. So.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a good story. Thanks for sharing. I think a lot of people listening are in a similar position where we realize like, damn, like I'm just like a number and just like a cog in the wheels of this business and the care factor. I mean, of the overall, like, you know, the, the, the company is not as much for, there's not that much care for the humans. Like, I, what I've realized is, like, I, 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 what I don't like about the employee promotion structure is that I think companies feed on people's egos a lot with, like, oh, you can get a promotion and we feel good about having a higher status in our, in our role But what we actually do is we take on more responsibility with little amount of extra income and we get like sort of pigeonholed into this like high status role but with way more stress, way more responsibility for not that much more value. I noticed that like I went from uh, being an apprentice plumber um, in my third year and somebody got kicked off the job site, the guy that was running it. And I'd been working for this company for like, three months and I was pretty green and they said, all right, you've got to take over the job and finish it off. I was like, okay, cool. And I had to sign the job off and uh, I was like looking at the forms and stuff that I was – because I completed the job, right? Like I had a – I was probably – 19 or 20 at the time and I had a 40-year-old trade assistant with me and then another 19-year-old apprentice who was like a first-year apprentice who basically wanted to like take my role <laughs> and thought he was better than me at the time but the trade assistant was awesome he's a really awesome amazing human and so I had to sign this job off and I said to the boss I was like look I can't like this is illegal I'm an apprentice I need to be a fully qualified plumber and then I asked to be prom- asked to be promoted and they're like, yeah, cool. You can be promoted, but we're not going to pay, we're not going to pay you much more because you still technically need to like, you know, do your fourth year and, and your studies and stuff like that. And I was like, you don't like, as long as I can give them what they want, they'll just give me more, more responsibility and social status and not care. And I see a lot of my friends who are now saying, no, I don't want a promotion in my job because like, it's more stress with very like very little, um, reward for it so i think a lot of people listening are in that boat and wanting to get into this game of of online business so you started a fair few mark why did you make the transition to buy one like what caused you to go hey i want to want to buy these because you bought two now
1: yeah
0: um that decision based on
1: a lot of it was because I was already familiar with the sites and with, um, yeah. I bought them from the same person, the, the both sites were from the same seller off market. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. It was just someone in my network. And actually the first one, the first one was bigger. The first one I paid a hundred thousand for. And the second one I paid about 12, I think it was like 12,700, something like that. Mm. Um, and th- for the first one, I had actually been doing freelance work, um, on that site for like a year. So I had been, basically it was a, a very passive owner who didn't has bigger things going on and didn't want to be very involved in the site. And so, yeah. um, he hired me to, to run it. And it was, it was a blog. So it was mostly writing content, but it was also doing keyword research and, uh, you know, choosing affiliate programs to, um, to go after and updating a lot of content, deleting some old content because the site had been around a while. Um, so I had worked on it for a year as a freelancer and he was looking to sell. And um, I don't think if I had hadn't had that opportunity at like behind the scenes as a freelancer um, I don't think I would have bought it um, because I had basically been running it almost as if it was my own. So um, you know, I could see what it made in the affiliate commissions. I didn't, have access to the ad revenue, but you know, he told me what it was making. Um, but I could see, you know, I had all the access to everything in WordPress, analytics, search console, everything for a long time to really get comfortable with it and, um, to see the opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a re- really, it was just like, I felt like it still had uh, a good bit of room for growth. And also, you know, I, I was doing about 10 hours a week, uh, of freelance work on it. And if he sold it to somebody else, I would have most likely lost that work too, so that probably played a, a little bit of a factor in it. Um, yeah. But basically, I just saw like you know, I think there's a chance I could could uh, improve the site. I knew I would flip it. I didn't think I'd flip it quite as fast as I did, um, and maybe I should have held on to it a little bit longer. But um, I wound up having it for uh, a little bit less than two years.
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. Congrats on that acquisition. I think it's a it's just a wise one, right? It's a very wise acquisition when. You can see that, all right, you're basically running this business for a certain period of time and if you were to be the new owner or you'd probably see like downfalls and then opportunities for growth and things you could do differently that you've probably been thinking about for a while that you could just go plug straight into the business. So what were some of those things that you went and did to to build that site up before you flipped it? Like what are some of the strategies you you implemented?
1: I did a, I did a full site audit Um the site had, I think first. probably around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, first site right away. I, I did a full site audit had around 700 blog posts on it. Some of them were pretty old. Um, some of it I, I had cleaned up, you know, while I was still like freelancing on the site. Um, but I did a bit of a deeper dive. Once I bought it, I wound up deleting a good bit redirecting. Um, and, and then I identified, um, a lot of content to update. And so uh, the main thing I did on that site was focus on content because it did have um, had some age, it had a decent domain authority. I didn't do any link building because uh, it did have a decent link profile already. Um, so it was, it was pretty much all content and it was probably fairly evenly split between um, updating existing content and creating new content. And so for the new content, I'm, I did write some of it myself, but I mostly, um, outsource it to, to freelancers that I hired on Upwork. And, um, I did all of the content strategy, keyword research. Um, so I would give the freelancers, um, the, the, the topic to write about. I would, in most cases I would outline the articles because I wanted them to, um, to highlight certain affiliate products and stuff. Um, so it was a little bit more, um, time consuming for me um you know setting up that those outlines and stuff whereas you know some people who own the site would outsource everything Uh, i was definitely more hands-on but i've always been pretty hands-on with my sites and i like it that way um i don't you know work with a ton of freelancers on that site i think i had like four different writers and they would all do like one blog post a week they weren't you know putting in a ton of time um so yeah so it was really just focusing on content um There was one affiliate program that was like the the top affiliate program. I really like doubled down on that particular program. And most of the content or a lot of the content was, was, um, around stuff that allowed me to promote that. And, uh, I I did find another affiliate program too, that I I created a lot of content around. So it was really, you know, focusing in on the, on the key affiliate, um, income. And that really boosted up the, the affiliate revenue a lot. Uh, so when I, when I bought the site, it was, it was bringing in between three and 3,000 and 3,500 a month total. And most of that was ad revenue. And there was, I think, um, less than a thousand dollars a month affiliate stuff. It was maybe like six, 700 uh, a month in affiliate revenue. And, um, about a year later, the affiliate revenue on a good month was up to like 6,000 6000 6, 7000 um, Cool. So it was really, the ad revenue went up a little bit, but the affiliate revenue really went up a lot.
0: Yeah, definitely from focusing on that, you know, that main affiliate program and, and increasing content around that or updating content around that. And talking about updating content, what, um, what are some of the things that you like to do when you are updating content? Or, or first of all, how do you identify which content needs updating? Why? And then like, what's your sort of, process on on updating it
1: so a few of the few of the reasons i would update content um one is just being outdated so especially on that blog being um web slash graphic design a lot of the web design stuff you know gets outdated real fast so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. pretty much anything from you know five years ago or more is probably not really relevant anymore and so if um, if an article had traffic or if it uh, had potential to have traffic and it just needed updated, uh, you know, just because it was, it was no longer relevant. Uh, in some cases it would just be, you know, maybe a few small details that needed to be updated in other cases, um, just totally rewritten. Um, and uh, there were a number of those that were totally rewritten and I just, you know, used the same URL, um, but really everything about the content was, was changed. Um, another thing I, I did, Dive into um, you know analytics and, and search console, and really you know like say an article is ranking um, at the bottom of the first page of Google for a target keyword. To me, that's a really good, uh, really good opportunity to to update and improve. Um, mm-hmm. If that article isn't already optimized, you know if you could if you can go from say ranking eighth to ranking third, that's going to be an exponential growth. Absolutely. Um, even Absolutely. even fifth to third is is probably going to really have a big mm-hmm. difference. And mm. I had really good success with those um, those posts, those URLs that have been out there for several years, um, updating them and like quickly getting traffic as opposed to new content. And new content did um, did do pretty well in, in a lot of cases, but the older content is generally, you can get faster results with it. Um, yeah, so really it was, identifying content that was just outdated and finding ones that I thought had potential to to drive more traffic. Um, the other thing I guess would be um, posts with like uh, buyer intent for like affiliate programs. So if there was an article I thought was um, maybe it wasn't really driving traffic, but uh, I think there's a chance for me to improve it and throw in some affiliate promotions in there. And then I would would work on that too.
0: I love it. Just for people listening, buyer intent means finding keywords or titles that are where people are closer to purchasing that product versus they're just in the discovery phase of thinking about like i might need to solve a problem and they don't know what the product is yet buyer intent is like you know they're already looking for that product to buy basically right
1: right so- yeah So like if the search the search indicates that they're you know, closer to making a purchase than just looking for information. Um, You know, like maybe it includes a product name or uh, an example would be like a comparison, like X versus Y, like, you know, two different brands or something like that. If someone's searching for that, they're obviously interested in trying to figure out which product is better and which one they should buy. And so they have um, a little bit more interest than like, you know, your informational, how to do this or, you know, those types of articles.
0: Yeah. Talking about information versus high bar intent affiliate pieces, do you split the different? Like, did you when you were updating these? Do you think, all right, I need to not just focus on affiliate, like let's do some informational as well? And if so, what, what did that look like? Look like, and and why did you, you know, yeah, what was your motivation? Yeah, around so sure
1: initially, I really that. didn't. Initially, I really didn't focus on that too much, and um, I wound up creating a lot of content, whether it was new content or updated content that was really, um, affiliate heavy. Mm. And then as Google started doing the the product review updates and it seemed like they were really kind of coming after is the right word, but kind of coming after affiliate sites. Um, that's yeah, how it feels definitely. a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> um, so fortunately I didn't get hit with any of that stuff, but I did, it did make me, um, reevaluate and intentionally put, Um, you know, just informational articles that had really no affiliate, you know, links, or maybe just a few affiliate links rather than a bunch. Um, And so towards the end, like the last, you know, six months to a year that I owned the site, I was trying to keep it probably about 50-50. Whereas, you know, I was trying to to do about half of the articles that weren't real um, affiliate heavy, because I did, uh, after there was... And a core update, it was, I think that, I think it was, um, December of, of last year, 2022. Yeah. There was, there was like an five out-
0: updates throughout the end of last year, 2020. Yeah.
1: And then, um, and then again in like January, February, yeah. and I was, I was in like, uh, SEMrush and some other tools, like looking at, at different blogs, different sites in the niche and, and kind of trying to see who was up, who was down, who was flat and trying to see like what factors I can, what trends I can notice between the sites that are up versus those that are down. And the, the what I could see, you know, it was a limited sample size. I looked at like 20 or 25 sites, so it wasn't huge, but the trends that I could tell based on that small sample was the ones that were doing well were tightly focused. They weren't covering all different aspects of web design, graphic design, web development, WordPress. They were a little bit more focused, and they were also not completely, um, you know, affiliate heavy. And where like some sites, like all they yeah. post is lists and affiliate products, basically. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. twenty five best this, ten best yeah. that, and yeah. it's affiliate links throughout every article. Those types of sites, from what I was seeing, were all trending down, and so the ones that were trending up. Had a better balance um, and better focus. And so that's kind of what I tried to emulate. Um,
0: That's such a cool strategy. Thanks for sharing that. For people that are listening, I've always harped on about competitive research, but for when an algorithm um, affects sites and stuff like that, or it comes out, it's worth looking at, you know, like you said, 10 to 25, 30 of. Um, competitors that are in the space, direct competitors go through and look at what they're doing well, see how they've fared out of the uh, changes to the algorithm and find, you know, find those little pieces of value that allow you to see, oh, okay, these guys have won out of this and this is what they've done to do so versus people that have lost out of it as well. So that's, a, that's an awesome share. With the, um, with the purchasing, purchasing of these two sites, Moving forwards, would you buy more sites versus starting them? And if so, like why?
1: Yeah, I I definitely would. Um, I I do have some interest. I have looked a little bit at, you know, some marketplaces and stuff. To be honest, I'm kind of uh, right now kind of curious to see what happens with SGE and uh, AI and the search results and most of my experiences with content sites. Um, So I'm probably you know it would have to be the right situation for me to to invest any kind of significant money um until we have a better idea of what's going to happen with uh with ai and the search results um i'm not really too concerned with ai content creation um but i am more curious to see what happens with the search results so tell me um, tell
0: me more tell me more what you're what you're curious about like i'd love to dig into that a little bit
1: just like you know, how AI and the search results is going to impact the search traffic. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to kill traffic, but say you buy a site and a month later, um, you know, Google rolls out SGE and you're down 25%, um, which I think some sites probably are going to be, you know, if they're targeting content that can be easily answered by AI. Uh, I think there are a lot of topics that, that can't be easily answered by AI. And, and Google does seem to be, um, you know, putting links into the AI generated responses. And so I think some sites will probably be, come out ahead. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. But it I just makes me a little
1: bit hesitant to invest anything significant um, until I have a better idea of, of how that plays out.
0: Yeah, um, I, I'm glad that you mentioned that because most people, most of the, like, this is what, uh, this is how people who create media, like podcasts and YouTube videos and articles uh, get views is through clickbaity, fear-mongering headlines <laughs> and fear-mongering news where, you know, we could lose all of our traffic at, in a click of a finger. But reality is that Google has had um, no click search for a while uh, with featured snippets and things like this. And people have been doing this for... You know, two years more um, creating content that can easily rank high in Google and get up the top with a featured snippet without them having to go through and click through the site. So I, I'm pretty bullish on uh, it not being as bad as what most people say, um, the fearmongering meter out there. Because I think it's being rolled out at a slower pace. Yeah. Um, you know, there could be there could be the anomaly where yeah, a site could you could buy a site and it could lose a bunch of traffic very fast. But I just don't think that would be uh, a reality based on the data on how they've slowly rolled, the, rolled these things out. And then I also think if Google was to um, roll out SGE and nobody went to any websites ever again and only used Google, like they, for, say, for example, they use ChatGPT for answers, right? They don't need to go to websites. Yeah. Then why would anybody create any content and have any websites ever again. And that means Google, like, let's just say that happens, Google would have no update content to put on their search engine, uh, because nobody's creating content for their websites, because they're not making money from it. So Google would just kill the hand that feeds them, right? So then it comes to the conversation of what you mentioned of, how do we work out, or maybe create content that you can answer it in a short, sharp version, but it also prompts people to get a longer and better explanation by clicking on a link in Google and going to your website and focusing on that content versus just yes/no answers sort of thing. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, on
1: like that? I said, I think some sites will, I think some sites will come out ahead. Um, yeah. But you know, we just at this point, we don't really know what you know, which sites are going to come out ahead and which sites are going to take a hit. Um, yeah. And I've also seen. Uh, Something that I thought was interesting, it was a a month or so ago that there was a report that um, since Microsoft integrated AI into their search results, they've gained zero market share. Um, And so there were, that's the report that I saw. I don't know how accurate it is, but Google seemed to rush into, um, in response to what Bing was doing. Um, And so I, I heard some people say, well, you know, if if uh, you know if they're not worried about being taking away market share, maybe Google just leaves this in development forever and never really rolls it out. And I think there's validity to that. I don't I don't know what Google's going to do, but you know if it's going to be bad for their business model, like Google makes a ton of money, they make billions of dollars off of ads on people's websites, and if people are not going to websites. Google is not going to be making that money. And as a public company, obviously they have constant pressure, um, you know, to maintain or increase profitability. And so they're not going to, you know, do something that's going to crush that if they don't have to. Um, and so if they don't fear the feel the pressure from Bing, um, I would not be surprised if uh, things look significantly different than what, what it seems like they might. So.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Why is Google going to cut off the hand that feeds them um, and just destroy everybody's websites that's getting money from ad revenue? Um, It just does not make sense to do so. And also, I think a lot of people worry about that with with the third-party cookie where people have been like, and that's my same response, is like, if Google is going to remove the third-party cookie at the start of 2024, which hasn't been much news around it for a while, because it gets gets pushed back because AI is the is the uh, the leading um, hype uh, subject at the moment. <laughs> uh, with good, you know, if they remove the third party cookies, surely they're going to have a another more superior way to track people um, on the internet for, uh, on sites outside of third party cookies to ensure that advertisers are getting good ROI from the money they're spending with Google. Otherwise it's silly for them to roll it out. So, but they do need to play this political game as well. Like you mentioned of, Hey, Google Chrome is a safe place to view websites and we don't collect as much data as, you know, so they're probably going to come up with something else, but yeah, it's just that. This is, like, I'm glad that you brought this up because this is a lot of people's fears. It's like, yeah, I understand that you've got the fear that um, things may change as the search engine changes. But that's been happening since the search engine has ever evolved. And will it be as catastrophic as what most people are saying? Who knows? Because Google's going to roll it out quite slow. That said, there still can be changes. Like, we've just seen a helpful content update happen throughout the mid, um, mid to, like, end-ish of 2023 here and that could be more catastrophic than you know like what may be rolling out with sge and all third-party cookies so and that hasn't got as much attention or a build-up or a lead-up to it because it was you know it's just another update so yeah what do you think
1: and um getting back to the other part of your question sorry i kind of got off on that AI yeah, it's just, you you asked me like, if, me long. <laughs> you asked me if, um, if I did buy a site, why would I go back to that? And, um, the main reason is just to cut out the grind at the beginning. Um, you know, I mean, it just takes so long to, to start from scratch and you never know, you know, I'm pretty confident that if I really will, you know, put my effort and focus into a site that I can have some level of success, but you never really know for sure um you know how much success you're going to have you can instantly buy an asset that has cut out that first year couple years and instantly jump into um you know into improving it and monetizing it um so it definitely is, is tempting um
0: yeah yeah cool i i totally agree that's that's <laughs> that's what i promote um also, you know, you've got people that are great at starting sites and they realize that they start a, a bunch, and, um, you know, you just don't know how the market's going to fare or what results the market's going to share, show with, you know, what you put out there. Um, and some have a higher ROI than others that don't. And then they end up, you know, they know they'll start six or eight and then end up focusing on one or two. Um, but then you put a lot of that effort into, you know, a bunch of other ones, whereas you could just find that one asset that's that's got that leg up. Now, let's come to the selling part. So it sounds like you sold this within the last sort of 12-ish months, um, this one that you you did purchase and flipped it. And you have sold a bunch of other ones, right? Like it's, you know, congrats on, you know, how much, you know, the total valuation of sites that you have sold. That's that's really cool. What are some of the things that you noticed that you needed to do to get a good, um a good sale and present the business as an attractive business for a purchaser? Were there certain things that you did before getting ready to list or sell?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think um, the biggest thing for me has been preparing ahead of time. Like I don't usually just wake up one day and say, I think I should probably sell my site. Um, (laughs) You know, like the the first significant sale I had um, I planned basically like six months in advance and said, you know, I want to sell the site. Um I actually maybe even been a little bit longer than that, but I'm gonna, you know, work on increasing the revenue. Cause most sites I think, even sites that are pretty good, most of them are not really maximizing their their potential. Um you know there's always things you can do to uh or usually things that you can do to improve that revenue. Um in the case uh, of the site that I'm talking about, it was uh, doing more with affiliate marketing. So I was monetizing it primarily with ads and digital products. And I really hadn't done much with affiliate marketing. And um, I dove into that and significantly increased the revenue in six months and, uh, and then sold it for a price that I was pretty happy with. Um, and so the other th- uh, you know, that that's... That really, you know, emphasized to me the importance of planning ahead and, um, you know, kind of looking at things and saying, okay, what can I do to, to maximize um, maximize profit? And another thing that I learned early on too is, um, and obviously you know this, but people buying sites, uh, for the most part, are investors. They're not looking to buy a full-time job. Uh, and so like the probably the first question I'm asked almost every single time I'm looking to sell a site is how much time do you put into it? I know that's something every potential buyer is going to want to know. Um, and so one of the things I learned, you know, early on is um, not everything that you do I mean, on a site is productive. Like, you know, if you get, if you get into to running a site for a couple of years and then you really look at like how you're spending your time, Probably a lot of time you're doing things that really don't, you know, produce results. Um, And so the same thing with that first site, as I was also working on ramping up my affiliate revenue, I was also working on cutting back my hours. And so I had things I was doing that I thought were good for the site, but they really didn't move the needle. They really didn't, you know, drive revenue. They didn't, I could cut them out without losing traffic, without, um, you know, there's types of content that took a long time to produce and, and probably didn't really, you know, get any significant results. And so I was able to, to cut my time pretty significantly. And I think that helped a lot with the sale too, because there's a big difference in going to someone and saying, I work, you know, 10 hours a week, as opposed to 20 hours a week, or five hours a week, as opposed to 10. Um, cause they're, they're going to factor that in, um, as to how much it's going to cost them to run the site. You know, they're probably going to try to outsource. Everything and so they're gonna say, well, how much is it gonna cost me to replace somebody that works forty hours a week? It's gonna cost a lot, uh, and so it's gonna drive that valuation down. So I'd say that was that was a big thing as well. Um, the other the other thing I noticed is, um, I've sold some sites on my own. I, I've sold some on a marketplace. So that's been a long time since I did that. And um, in recent years, I had two sales that were through a broker. And I, the two best, you know, multiples that I got on the sales were through a broker. Um, so I went through quiet light and had an awesome experience both times. Um, and you know, a good broker can, in a lot of cases, you know, earn their fee without taking anything off, you know, what you're taking home. So, you know, I've had people say, I've talked to a lot of people that you know, about selling. And they're always like, you know, I I don't want to pay a a broker. And I understand that, but what really matters is what you take at at the end. You know, if you, if a broker gets you 20% more and their fee is 10 or 15%, you know, you're still coming out ahead. Um, And so I think a lot of people are hesitant to use a broker because of a fee um, and then try to sell it themselves when they probably could have done better off and gotten a lot, made it a lot easier through a broker too because a broker does a lot of the work for you. Um, so yeah, so I would say if you don't have a good buyer in mind, if you don't have a really strong network, you're probably better off using a broker if you can.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's why we sell people's businesses um, with Bob is like we have a pool of people that want that certain type of business in that price range. You know, you've already got that group of people that are hungry for it with cash mm-hmm. why not go to them and then if you've got you know a different bracket of business that you know you might want to sell through quiet light they've already got those buyers you know like go to those people that have those buyers that want are looking for that type of business that you have because that broker is gonna that's a good way to choose a broker right is they're gonna have they're gonna be able to sell that type of business for the type of buyers they have just meeting the market really in a lot smarter way. It's like you're going to sell your, like it's me trying to sell a, you know, a snowboard in the desert versus going to a snow hill and selling a snowboard. There's a lot more people that want snowboards (laughs) in the mountain. (laughs) Yeah. I love those. I love those growth strategies. There's really, it's really awesome. And thank you for sharing that. Did you, when you said you increased the affiliate revenue on that site, um, did it also? Did you also increase the traffic as well? Was the trend slightly going up for the traffic? No. Or was just the revenue that increased? Okay,
1: yeah. traffic. The traffic was flat, um, yeah. and the, yeah, the affiliate revenue was. Uh, so by the time I sold it, the the revenue was pretty well split between ads, digital products, and affiliate revenue. It went from, um, you know, almost nothing in affiliate revenue to. The last month I owned it, I think it crossed $10,000 in affiliate revenue. Um, and that was in, in six months of, of, you know, creating content around affiliate programs. And I also went back and added, you know, joined affiliate programs for uh, products and services that I already had in my content. I just had a regular link and not an affiliate link. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of it was just, you know, creating content around the um, around the products I wanted to promote.
0: Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, What are some of the things that you would share with people that are getting prepped to sell their business other than what you have mentioned in terms of, you know, leading up to six months, is there anything else that you would share with them?
1: Yeah. I I think um, from what I've seen, it's it's very helpful to have a team in place and whether you're talking about employees, freelancers um, in my case, I've never had employees. Uh, I've only worked with freelancers. But even if you just have a freelance writer um, who you you know have talked to and said, "Hey, you know, I'm thinking about selling the site. Would you be interested in continuing to work with uh, a new owner?" Most likely, they're going to say yes because freelancers won't job? work. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you can go to a buyer and say, "You know, I have this writer in place," um, that's a big load off. For the buyer to say like, okay, I don't immediately have to go out and find somebody to create content. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can kind of just like continue as is. And if they want to make changes later, they can. Um, Same thing, you know, if you're using like a virtual assistant or an editor, uh, you know, if you're selling a podcast, maybe it's somebody editing the podcast episodes, uh, Mm -hmm. YouTube videos, whatever. Um, You know, if you have that team in place that you can transition, um, it's definitely really helpful. Uh, also, you know, having some sort of documentation, uh, standard operating procedures or any, anything, you know, to explain what it is you do on a daily basis and and the steps you go through. And it doesn't have to be anything fancy. Um, you know, in one case, I had a a buyer who just wanted me to, um, you know, record a a video, like a, a, screen like sharing my screen uh, of me in WordPress like you know here's what I do editing a post mm. and it's super simple to create um but it, it helps them a lot to understand like what you're doing and what what they can continue to do t- to run the site the same way that you're doing um, so I'd say yeah I'd say those things are are probably among my top tips
0: I love that with the SOPs is what I like to think about is Number one, not just having a thing of like, here's how I do this, but I'll just have a purpose and a reasoning or we do have a purpose and a reasoning on why we're doing this task and what result that can provide, which helps emphasize how important it is to follow the steps during that SOP for that virtual assistant or their employee to make sure they're like, okay, I get how important this task is now. I'm not just do this because it needs to be done. And then also when we create the SOP, as <clears throat> so we understand how much, how much work is going to go into it and do I need to split, split that, you know, just me re- recording a screen share into like if it's going to go longer, do I do three screen share recordings over a 10-minute, you know, like t- three 10-minute blocks versus just one 30-minute one Um, So when somebody needs to come back to the SOP, they can just take that part of the SOP and and watch it easily versus having to like scroll through and do it again. Like I like to think about it as creating an actual course for your employee to set them up for success. And that's our goal, right, is with all my employees is like I want to show them what finished looks like, why it should be finished in that certain way and the result it should get and when they can make you happy they make the business happy and they're happy as well right it's, people just don't want to task you like i'm just going to do this just for you know just because um yeah i'm glad that you shared that wow so much experience and um in selling businesses and growing them and uh it's been a pleasure to chat mark thanks so much for coming on where can we send people to check out more about what you're up to
1: yeah so um I started uh, a blog, it's called Flip My Site, flipmysite.com. I uh, just started that a couple months ago after my most recent sale. Mm. And so that's the best place to find me on. Um I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn and um occasionally on Twitter. So um that's my site is is definitely the best place, but the social platforms will work as well.
0: Awesome. We'll put links to that in the show notes. Everybody that's listening, thank you for listening. Please do us a massive favor and share this podcast episode with somebody that you know that is going to buy a website, owns a website business, thinking about selling it, or somebody that's about to sell a business or thinking, yeah, thinking about selling it. Uh, there's so much in this that will be valuable for them to get their business set up for selling um, in terms of growth and a good exit. So thanks again, guys, and I'll speak to you soon. Hey YouTube Watcher, if you thought that video was good, you should check out this video here on the two best types of websites beginners should buy. Or check out my playlist on how I made my first 100K from buying websites and how to do due diligence. Check it out, it's an awesome playlist, you'll enjoy it.